Isaiah, um, Isaiah the eighth chapter. And Brother Greg, I'm not exactly sure what it was. This, this morning it was perfect, but I got that thing going behind me again. So you're, amen, you know what that means and how to fix it. So thank you for that, brother. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11. We'll jump in there tonight. And um, I want to try to get to some practical things. When I say practical things to practice, you know, when they said a moment ago they're going to practice that song on us, I'm like, well, you know, you go to the doctor and he's just practicing. So everybody's practicing, you know, trying to get better. So, um, but anyway, um, when I say practical, I mean things that you can actually uh, apply uh, in, a, in a very specific way to your, to your life. And I believe some things the Lord's going to help us with tonight. Anyway, Isaiah chapter 8, uh, verse 11, it says, For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying... Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. So let's talk here for just one moment again. Um, the Bible clearly warns us, both Old Testament, New Testament, types, shadows, and then just with straight up warnings about the people that we connect ourselves with. And... Um, the Bible even talks about how the wrong people in our lives will literally ruin our own personal morals. And you've heard all the sayings developed from that, show me your five closest friends, I'll show you your future, and so forth and so on. Um, sometimes I, I think we overlook that when God brought his people out of Egypt, that you know Egypt was basically a wasteland at that point. And there were a lot of non-Jewish people who jumped on the bandwagon, so to speak, and, uh, you know, we're going wherever these people are headed, you know. But they weren't God's people, and they weren't interested in, in the promised land, and it was their complaining that wound up um, causing the, you know, God's people to have a bad attitude and so forth and so on. And so, you know, he's warning Isaiah, but what we see Isaiah dealing with in his day, we deal with it in our day. And he said, we should not walk in the way of this people. We, we should be different from the world. Um, we, we shouldn't think like the world thinks. We shouldn't talk like the world talks. We, we shouldn't um, fear what the world fears. We, we shouldn't have the same mindsets and attitudes of this world. And so this is what he is saying here uh, to Isaiah and to us tonight. Let's go on to verse 13. Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared, and be taken. Let me give you these same verses from the message translation. Again, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11 from the message. Then God uh, God spoke strongly to me, grabbed me with both hands, and warmed, warned me not to go along with this people. He said, don't be like this people, always afraid somebody's plotting against them. Don't fear what they fear. Don't take on their worries. If you're going to worry, worry about the holy. Fear God of the angel armies. The holy can be either a hiding place or a boulder blocking your way either a hiding place or a boulder blocking your way, a prison to wall you in or a fortress to protect you, right? 
And it all has to do with your attitude towards this boulder, all this sanctuary. Again, notice it's all caps there. This is speaking of Jesus. The rock standing in the willful way of both houses of Israel, a barbed wire fence preventing trespass to the citizens of Jerusalem. Many of them are going to run into that rock and get their bones broken, get tangled up in that barbed wire and not get free of it. So again, the barbed wire is not to keep you in, it's to protect you from threats that are trying to get to you. It's to protect you, not, not to hinder you, not to hold you back. And of course the same with this rock that is the rock of our salvation, the Lord Jesus. I want to go back now to, um, excuse me, let's go back to uh, verse 12 from the message. Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. That same verse, and um, I'm going crazy here with my iPad. Let me get back to it. Here we go. Um, Do not be like this people, always afraid somebody's plotting against them. Don't fear what they fear. Don't take on their worries. Turn over with me just real quick like to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. I want to show you a verse that I think really coincides with this. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 17. Ephesians 4 and 17. And I don't have this one to put on the screen, so if you don't have a Bible, maybe you can look on with your neighbor. But Ephesians 4 and 17, it says this. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding dark and being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. So what is he saying here? He's saying to born-again believers, you shouldn't live like people who don't know God. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be walking. That word walk means carrying out your life on a day-to-day basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. He says you shouldn't be walking as the rest of the Gentiles walk, what, in the futility of their mind. Now, obviously, a Gentile is speaking of a non-Jewish man or woman. And what he's literally saying here is a non-Jewish man or a woman meant a man or a woman, listen very carefully, who did not have a covenant with God. They did not have a covenant with God. And so he's saying that we should no longer live our lives on a day-to-day basis like people who, who don't have a covenant with God. We should no longer live like people who don't know God. We should no longer live like people who have not been born of God. Because we have been born of God. But yet we see there are a lot of people who have been born of God, but they're still living like outsiders instead of living like the insiders that they've now become. They're still living like people who who have not been saved, even though they have indeed been born again. Now, if we go back to this verse in Isaiah, don't be like this people, always afraid somebody's plotting against them. Don't fear what they fear. Don't take on their worries. So when he says, don't fear what they fear, don't take on their worries, what's, what's stated here and, and, and heavily implied is don't fear what they fear, don't take on their worries by giving place to what they're giving place to. Now, 
we kind of started down this road this morning, but we ran out of time. So I want to go back for those of you who are not here and show you this verse again. This one is in Matthew, the fifth chapter, and it's verse 46 and then 47. In Matthew 5 and 46, Jesus says, For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the, collect, the tax collectors do so. Now you think, what, you know, is, are you bringing up tax collection verses because it's the, the, you know, April 15th? No, not at all. Okay, that's just, you know, happened to f- land that way. Okay. Um, but the reason Jesus mentioned tax collectors here is that tax collectors were considered to be the scum of the earth. Okay. Um, because the way a tax collector made his living in, in Jesus' day and time was they collected taxes for the Roman government and then anything above and beyond what people owed the Roman government that they could collect, they lined their pockets with. And so they were considered to be traitors. Uh, in other words, they were just, again, not considered to be you know, very uh, desirable people. So when Jesus uses the reference of a tax collector, you know, we're talking about someone who would be, you know, considered, you know, very selfish, um, you know, only interested in themselves, only interested in what was in it for them. So when he says that if we only love people who love us, you know, what reward do we have? Even the lowest of the low love like that. And if you only speak to people who speak to you, if you only greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? In other words, how, how is our expression of love and the way that we show love and the way that we show kindness and, and mercy and generosity to other people, how does that differ, if at all, from the way people in the world love their own, the, the way people in the world show that kind of love and that kind of generosity? So clearly what Jesus is saying here is that our expression of love to all people should excel should go above and beyond any example of, of showing kindness and, and, and love and, 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 and favor, uh, you know, that we have here uh, in, in the earth or in the world system. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? All right. Now, you say, well, I thought we were talking about not fearing and not worrying like those people do. But remember, it's love perfected that casts out fear. So a lot of times we don't think of a relationship between or a connection between fear and love, but actually there is a very powerful connection between these two. You see, if we only love the way the world loves, and at the same time, if we fear and worry about the same things the world fears and worries about, where is the difference There should be a practical and noticeable difference in both the way we love and in how we do not fear and worry about the things the world fears and worries about. Amen. These are two very key areas. These are two very key areas that should set us apart. But so many of God's people... Um, they're, they're worried like people who don't know God. Remember, he said, you should no longer walk like the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, living like they have no covenant, living like they don't know God, living like God hasn't redeemed them, living like they don't have an inheritance, living like God hasn't ever spoken to them, much less made many promises to them, all of which are yes and amen. Hallelujah. So these are two key areas 
Number one, in the way that we show our love. The Bible says that, that people who don't know God will know that we are followers of God because of the love that we have for one another. Right? It should be, it should be an otherworldly kind of love that is noticeable. And then also, we should stand out. Notice, this isn't like condemning anybody. This isn't, this isn't t- telling people they're going to hell because we don't agree with their lifestyle. That, that's, see, that's not evangelism. Evangelism is loving like Jesus loved. And then folks around the office realizing that, you know what, you're, you're not worried about things like everybody else. You're not afraid of, of situations like everybody else. You face them with a completely different attitude, a completely different mindset. You see, folks are going to be attracted to that kind of life. Folks are going to say, man, I don't, I don't know what it does. It's up with that, that brother. I don't know what's up with that sister, but I want some of what they've got. So again, in these areas, these key areas, a practical and noticeable difference in the way we love and in how we do not worry, live above worry and live above fear. I don't want to go back um, to this verse again. Verse 12. Do not be like this. People always afraid somebody's plotting against them. Don't fear what they fear. Don't take on their worries. Don't take on their worries. Don't take on the worries of the world. What are the things the world worries about? Well, Jesus talked about how the world worries about simple things like provision. What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? How am I going to get around? Where am am I going to live? You know, natural things pertaining to to provision and daily needs and things of this nature. Jesus said that, hey, when you pray, these are things that Father already knows that you have need of before you ask Him, right? And And that we should not Uh, worry about these things like people who don't know God worry and stress over these things. These these are worries that belong to someone who doesn't know God. I I don't want to, amen, I don't want to be too hard on this tonight, but just hear me, please. It's embarrassing that we're worried about these kind of things, you know, having the father that we have. I mean, do we not sing about his goodness is chasing after us? Amen. Goodness, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. And, and, and the Bible even talks about blessings coming up behind you and overtaking you. And, and so we, we should not be taking on the worries of this world and the, and, the, and the worries that people who are dependent upon this world's system have. Now, he said in, I know I'm bouncing back and forth between these two translations. Um, let's go back to this time in the King James, New King James Version, verse 13. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Now, I know we need probably a little explanation here. So let's begin with that word hallow. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Hallow is another one of these Bible words communicating our theme so far for this year, which is giving him, giving our Heavenly Father, giving God the place he deserves in our lives. Hallow is another way of saying giving him place. This word hallow means to set apart to set apart and to declare holy or to declare 
separate, right? So the, the, the simple uh, way to illustrate this word is if you have a group of things all together, let's just say you got a group of things and they're all, you know, there on a table and you reach into that group of things and you select one and you take it out from the group and you set it apart from the rest. You, you separate it from all those other things. You put it in, in a separate place. You, you designate it in a, in, a, in a different way. You recognize that it's, it's different from and should be separated from all those other things. This is what it means to simply hallow something. Now, let's see if anyone remembers this from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, Jesus speaking, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or hallowed be your name. Hallowing his name means to set him and his name apart, um, to set him and his name apart from and above all others, and everything else. So do you see the tie-in here to giving him place? Let's go ahead and nail it down again tonight in our hearts. He is his own category. No one else like him or above him. No one else in the same league as him. Amen. His voice is not one voice among many. His voice is the voice above all others. His name is not one name among many, but His name is the name above every name. And it is very important. As a matter of fact, notice that Jesus said, follow this pattern, follow this example, follow this, we could even say outline, if you will, this template, if you will, for prayer. And He's saying that, that when we begin to pray, we should begin, first of all, by recognizing that we're talking to our Father, Jesus' dad, my dad, same dad. And then we should spend a moment or two at least hallowing His name. In other words, recognizing that, that, that His name and, and, and He is in this league and this category all of His own. All right? Now, let's go back to... Uh, Thank you, Jesus. I know I'm bouncing back and forth here. Um, let's go back to verse 13. Isaiah 8 and verse 13. The Lord of hosts, Him you shall hallow. Let Him be your fear and let Him be your dread. Now, that word let literally means allow. It literally means allow. And he's saying that this is a choice that we make. This is a choice that you make. Now, because these things happen seamlessly in our lives, we often fail to recognize that there is a choice somewhere involved in them. Remember, we, we talked about this unsolicited outward expression of an inward opinion of the heart. Amen. Some of you are here for, for, for the, you know, that part of our current teaching. Again, an unsolicited. Do you understand what unsolicited means? Voluntarily. Nobody asked you for it. Nobody told you how to do it. Nobody, um, you, you know, uh, said, you know, check off these boxes. It was, it's an unsolicited outward expression of an inward opinion of the heart. It's something that, that comes out of us outward. The Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. 
If you listen close enough and long enough to somebody talk, you will get a very good understanding of what's in their heart because we can't keep what's in our heart from coming out of our mouth, right? Sometimes, you know, somebody will be venting or ranting and at the end of it, somebody will say, well, man, why don't you tell me what you really think, right? And we're kind of being sarcastic there because they just told us what they really think. So when we're talking about this unsolicited outward expression of an inward opinion of the heart, okay? So let's just say you walk into a room and, and there's a, a, a college football game on um, and you have no idea because everybody's wearing the same color. You have no idea who's for what team, right? But if you watch long enough, you know, when one team does something really good, right, you can tell from the unsolicited outward expression what the inward opinion of people's hearts in the rooms are towards those two teams, right? I mean, if they pull off their glasses and do this, that tells you that they're not for the team that just scored. But if they start doing this and jumping around the room and high-fiving other people in the room, again, notice that's an, that's an unsolicited outward expression of an inward opinion of the heart, okay? So we don't often think of these things as, 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 as being a choice. In other words, we, we sometimes think that it's just this automatic deal, but who decides what you treasure? Who decides what you make a priority in your life? Who decides what you allow room for and time for, time given to in your own mind, in your own heart? We make all those decisions. For instance, Jesus told his disciples, do not let, do not allow your heart to be troubled. Now see, this idea that we can't keep our hearts from being troubled, this idea that we can't keep our hearts from, from being saddened, that we can't, we can't somehow stop ourselves from feeling depressed. Listen, I'm not trying to pick a fight with anybody, but if, if people who believe that don't believe what Jesus said because Jesus told us, do not allow your heart to be troubled. We, we rarely, if ever, connect our thoughts and thinking, these inward uh, opinions of the heart, with, with the emotions that we experience. But the Bible squarely connects the way we think and the things that we think about with the emotions that we uh, experience. And in the same way that your thoughts drive your emotions, your emotions then influence your choices, your decisions, or we could say your behavior. Amen or oh me. So, thank you, Jesus. So we make these choices. We make these decisions. Now, like faith, fear is a form of giving place. Like faith, fear is a form of giving place. Let me say this another way. What you fear has power over you. What you fear has power over you. One more time. What you fear has power over, to, over you. So do you see how fearing something is giving place to it? Fearing something is giving place to it. Now, I want to build on that statement. What you fear has power over you. Here's the rest of it. What you fear has power over you because you believe it has power over you. 
What you fear has power over you because you believe it has power over you. Here's a simple example. Um, A fear of snakes is a common fear. A lot of people have that, fear of snakes. Notice that a fear that someone may have of of a snake is based upon a belief that the snake can hurt them. Think about it now. Why do people, you know, you, you ever seen like a little mouse run through a room and all of a sudden grown men are climbing up on furniture and chairs and hollering and screaming, right? Well, why that response? Why that unsolicited outward expression? It's because somewhere there's an inward opinion of the heart that believes that little mouse can hurt them some way. See, fear of a snake is an outward expression of an inward belief that the snake can hurt me. And it doesn't matter if the snake can or can't. It doesn't matter if it's a green snake or if it's a cobra. You'll more than likely see the same response from people who are afraid of snakes. Right? Doesn't matter if if the snake can hurt you or can't hurt you. If you believe it can, then you will see that unsolicited outward expression representative of the inward opinion of the heart. Are you still with me tonight? So what you fear has power over you because you believe it has power over you. So here's my... Last point of the night. Are you ready? This means fear is always a sign of giving place to something or someone other than Father God and His Word. Fear is always a sign. Not sometimes. Always. Fear is always a sign of giving place to something or someone other than Father God and His Word. Now, I believe that statement right there helps us better understand what it means to have the fear of the Lord or to have the fear of God, to, have, to, to fear God. Amen. Because what you fear has power over you, and it has power over you because you believe it has power over you. So do you see why now the, the only... Uh, legitimate, the only valid place our fear belongs is the fear of God. Because He's the only one that we should believe has power over us. The devil doesn't have power over you unless you give place to him. This is why he tries so hard to develop and cultivate fear in our hearts the same way our Heavenly Father is working so hard with the Holy Spirit to develop and cultivate faith in our hearts. Trust in Him. The devil, God hasn't given the devil uh, authority over you. He's as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And the Scriptures are very clear. Do not give him place. Give him no place in your life. Jesus told his disciples, he said, My time has come, the evil one is coming for me, but he has nothing in me. And because he had nothing in Jesus, because Jesus had given him no place, 
The only way the devil could take his life is if Jesus laid it down. Are you seeing this? So the enemy is trying to develop and cultivate fear in our lives because it's only through fear, which again, what you fear has power over you because you believe it has power over you. He's trying to cultivate this fear in our lives because that fear is a sign of of you or me giving place to something or giving place to someone other than Father God and His Word. So this unsolicited outward expression of an inward opinion of the heart, it can basically, you know, it comes into play whether we're glorifying the Lord or being offended by Him. And it's true of genuine faith. And then it's also true of fear as well. Now, I want to leave you with this. Anybody remember what fear feels like? Come on now. I know I'm talking to a lot of of mighty men and women in here, amen, tonight, but do you remember what fear feels like? By the way, worry and dread are nothing more than fancy words for fear. The next time fear of any kind tries to creep in on you, I want to ask you to do something. This is that practical part. Are you ready? I want you to take a moment to analyze what's really going on. If, let's see if we can do it this way. If I have pain in my elbow, that pain is a sign that something's not right in that elbow joint, right? The pain is an effect being produced by a cause. Am I right about this? The pain's not just there for no reason. In other words, the pain is there because there's something that's causing the pain. The pain is an effect that has an underlying cause. And I know some people take this to an extreme. But that's actually designed by God so that if we're doing something or there's something that needs to be addressed. Are you you understand what I'm saying? We see there are very, very rare people on planet Earth who can feel no pain. Guess what? They they live in constant danger. they, They can lay their hand on a stove and not feel the pain and all of a sudden they could ruin their hand forever. Are you following what I'm saying? So I'm not going, I'm not trying to go too far down that road, but again, the pain is to signal us that something's not right. Emotional pain, if you will, is the same way. When we're experiencing fear, the fear is an effect and it has a root cause. You will never eliminate the effect until you identify the cause. So the next time fear tries to creep in on you, I want you to take a moment to analyze what's really going on. What what is this cause and effect scenario? I want you to ask yourself some questions. 
Begin with, why am I afraid right now? I'll get you these later. I'm going to run through them right quick. Why am I afraid right now? What or who am I giving place to in this situation? What have I been or am I thinking about? That one right there is what you need to spend some time on, right? Because many times the fear that we're experiencing in our, in, in our life reality is, the, is being caused by wrong thinking in our hearts. What is the truth, what is fact, and what is opinion in this situation? Pull you out a piece of paper and write on it. Uh, truth, fact, opinion. And you've got you to identify whatever it is behind this fear. Is it somebody's opinion? Is it, is it fact-based? But most importantly, what is the truth? Write it down. If necessary, write it down. Make a written list. Analyze it. And then look at what you've written. Which category is carrying more weight with me right now? Because more times than not, fear is a result of us putting too much emphasis, letting other people's opinions carry too much weight in our lives. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The truth from God will never cause fear in you. It'll never cause fear in you. Ask yourself this question, where is my trust placed? Or you could say it this way, in whom or what am I trusting? This is one of my favorite questions always in any situation. What does the Word say? What does the Word say? How about this? Has my father said anything about my current situation or problem? Has he had anything to say about it? If it's sickness, has he had anything to say about sickness and healing? If it's finances, has he had anything to say about, about financial lack or prosperity? Are you understand what I'm saying? We've got to identify what, what has my father said, what, is he, what has he said about my current situation or problem? And then how about this? Has my father done anything about my current situation and problem? Has he made provisions for it? And then the last one. Is this situation bigger than my father or his love for me? Now, I know I'll rush through those, but here's the point I'm wanting you to begin to think about, okay? We, we can't just sit there and take on the world's fears and worries. We can't worry like the world worries. We, we, we shouldn't be afraid of things the way the world is afraid of things. Are you hearing me? This is not healthy. This is, this is not how we live the life that God created us to live. And so we're either going to just accept it as normal or we're going to recognize that when fear comes, there is, a, there is a cause that's producing that effect. And let's take some time to analyze it. Are you following me? Is this making sense to you? All right, stand with me tonight. Praise God. Why am I afraid? What or who am I giving place to in this situation? What have I been or am I thinking about? What is the truth? What is fact and what is opinion in this situation? Make a written list. Which category of these three has more weight with me right now? Where is my trust placed? In whom or what am I trusting? What does the Word say? Has my father said anything about my current situation or problem? Has my father done anything about my current situation or problem? Is this situation or problem bigger than my father or his love for me?
I'm telling you, if, if when, that, when that fear tries to creep in on you, if, if you'll subject it to the scrutiny of these verses, uh, of these questions and, the, and what the verses in the Bible say pertaining to your situation or problem, it, it, it's going to move you out of fear into faith really, really fast. Amen? All right, Father, you're good to us and we love you. Thank you for the things that you've done for us tonight. Thank you, Father, for helping us lay hold of your truth. And, and Father, not just accept fear in our lives as, as normal or, or as something that we have to do. Lord, that's the lie of the enemy. Um, we're not being good parents worrying about our children. Um, you want us as parents to be in faith where our children are concerned, not in fear, not giving place to the, to the enemy through fear and by believing that something bad or negative is going to happen or could happen or might happen. We're not playing into the devil's tricks and lies like that any, any longer, Father. And so I pray that as the enemy tries to manipulate fear in our lives, Father, that we would Take a moment and be led by the Holy Spirit to really look at what's beneath the surface causing this unsolicited outward expression of fear. What's the inward opinion of the heart that's driving it, Father? And may we correct that very quickly with the truth and by giving you place in our lives. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for the week ahead. Father, we know that there are divine appointments that you already have established for us. People, Lord, that you want us to, to reach out to in some way, Lord. Maybe just a smile, maybe just a pat on the back, maybe just a kind word. Father, may we take our love to the next level, Lord, this week. May we not be content by following the same examples and patterns of, of, of love expressed by the world, but may, but may we learn how to love like you love, Father, and may we take steps of faith towards doing that this week. And then, Father, may we also be keenly aware of how we take on this world's worries and fears and, and, and worry and fear like people who have no Father in heaven, no covenant. Lord, and may we, Lord, be prompted by the Holy Spirit on effectively changing that. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus. Thank you for being here this evening. Have a great week ahead and uh, see some of you in the morning, some of you Tuesday, others Wednesday. It's going to be a good week. Praise God.